I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. Sarah Lynn Brooke writes contemporary book club fiction and is the award-winning author of three novels, Daytime Drama, Designer You, and her latest, Light of the Fire. When she's not writing, Sarah Lynn moonlights as a full-time writing and literature professor at a local community college. From Northern California, she now lives in Philadelphia with her family. Welcome, Sarah Lynn. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Last time you came to the writing table, we talked about daytime drama and designer you, and Mm -hmm. now you have another juicy project coming out. Mm -hmm. Tell us about Light of the Fire. I would love to. So Light of the Fire centers around two estranged high school besties. They're also soccer teammates in high school who were forced to face a 20-year accident that they kept secret. And it's a secret that really destroyed their friendship. So now when circumstances bring them back together, they have to decide to what extent they're going to go to keep their secret hidden or finally face the consequences of what they did. And in the end, it's a story about the power of friendship, forgiveness, healing from past mistakes, and a little bit of soccer thrown in there too. Soccer? Where do do you get the inspiration? That's a good question. I'm being Uh, facetious, but but please, for (laughs) listeners who don't know, please tell us. Well, we were just talking about soccer quite a bit. I grew up playing soccer. My daughter grew up playing soccer. I played as a kid all the way through high school, a little bit in college, And then I gave it up. You know, I gave it up because I became interested in uh, other things like boys and stuff. (laughs) And and then I took it back up again. After I had my daughter, I started playing again in my early 30s. And it was just recently, wasn't my decision. It was really my ankles decision for me to stop playing just a couple years ago. If I could continue to play, I totally would. I love the game. It's just so much fun. I was never great at it, but it's such a fun fun game to play. And then I was also a soccer mom. So my daughter, Virginia, played her whole life and watched me play. And she's now in college and she is focusing on other things too. But it was so much fun being a soccer mom. So that was really what the inspiration for the book came from. Well, we're a soccer family too. I don't know if I've ever told you this story. What I found out I had MS was because another mom and I were coaching our son's kindergarten soccer team. And we had Mm -hmm. to take the clinic at an indoor soccer complex in Texas. And at the clinic, they're saying, oh, we're signing up adult teams. And I said, let's do it. Let's do this. And we had such a blast. Every time I'd get done and I told my husband, I think my soccer cleats are too tight. My right foot is numb every time. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Well, yeah. About three months later, it got a whole lot worse before it ever got better. But and I would do it again in a heartbeat. I have the same problem. It's the ankles pivoting. But man, it's, it's all fun. that stuff that, yeah, that lateral movement. It's just, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's so funny. I was listening to a podcast. No, no, no. It was a Facebook post. And they were talking about how old you are versus how old you feel. And so a lot of people are like, oh, I'm 55 and I feel 25 and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, well, maybe my brain might feel 30, but my ankles know that I'm 52. They're like, no, honey, 
you're 52. You're 52. So stop it. Yeah. I've switched to pickleball. Pickleball. Uh, Yeah. You know, I want to try it. I've never tried it. What do you like about it? I like that I get a really good workout. Mm -hmm. I still have to pivot some. I still have some ankle issues, but it's not as bad. And you don't have to run as much as in tennis. I want to say like the physics of it are not as hard on your body as well, it's Tennis a smaller is. court, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. really fun. And mm-hmm. I mean, and, and it's also something that I'll play against a team that, oh, we're talking 70 minimum. They're, they're, they're not 70, they're 80 and they will kick our butts. I mean, wow. that's the thing. There is strategy to it. It's really fun. And it's fun to see, you know, people of all ages do it. And it does and, look like fun. Is it yeah. always doubles or is it, is there a singles version? There is a singles, but that's hard. I moved to a new city five years ago and knew no one. And my next door neighbor invited me to come play pickleball with her and some friends. And I still play with them once or twice a week. Mm. Give it a try. Give I it a will. try. The next book might be about pickleball. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> this is your third novel. So was there anything different in writing this one versus the other two? I feel like all three books, I've had different approaches. And then I have another book that was in the drawer, and I had a whole other like non-approach to that one because <laughs> it was the first book. Every single book has been different. And I keep thinking, oh, like now I've got it. And it's like, oh, no, no, I totally don't. I don't have it at all. I haven't really figured out. I mean, there's certain things that I've figured out along the way, you know, about craft. Like you need to have a plot. You need to have characters who are, you know, multidimensional. The story needs these kinds of beats and all of that kind of stuff. But how I get there, I feel like is different for every single book. And I just wonder if it's because I'm at a different point in my life than I was the first time I started, you know, sitting down and trying to figure out what this novel thing was all about. I'm just not sure. I feel far more maybe settled now than I did, you know, five or 10 years ago. I'm writing differently. You know, I have a far more regular schedule now that my daughter's older and is away in college. So my schedule looks a lot different. So it might just be because I have different circumstances than I had with the first two books, you know, but every single book, I feel like I'm working on two right now in tandem, two projects. I don't recommend this by the way, but I'm working on two different projects right now and trying to figure out their stories. And I feel like, oh, like here I am lost again, lost as ever. Do you think that there's a confidence that comes with having done it, having had one sit in the drawer, Mm -hmm. knowing that you know how to get to the end. You don't know how you're going to get to the end, but you know you will get to the end. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. That's actually a really good point. I think that's because I've done this before and I know that it can be really hard. It can also be really fun. Like the expectation isn't, oh, it's going to go exactly this particular way. The expectation is, oh, you're going to have tough days and you're going to have days when it's easier. You're going to have days where your writing of the book, I'm using air quotes here, means you're going for a five mile walk to think about it. There will be no words on the page that day, maybe, but you need to think about this plot problem or whatever it is. Or doing research. I consider doing research actually part of the process as well. And that is a writing day. You know, even if I'm not putting any words on the page at all, that's a writing day. So I think there's just an acceptance that eventually it's going to come, but it's not always going to look the same for every single project. Are you an outliner? Yes. And that I had to learn the hard way. Like a hard outliner or like 
I make an outline and then six months from now, it's going to look a lot different. Okay. So that's another thing that's changed. So that's like with my first book, that was a hard outline. I followed all of the beats. I was very rigorous about it and very disciplined. And then my second book, Daytime Drama, that one was so easy to write that I just sort of like kind of let the characters take me where they're going to go, which sounds really woo-woo, but anyway, whatever. Don't tell my husband <laughs> I said that out loud. Um, but but anyway, but it was like, you know, and I did have an outline. I kind of knew where the story was going and I knew what the ending was, but if it veered from the outline, okay, this is fun. Like it was just, it was such a joy to write. And then with Light of the Fire, this one required a lot more research than I thought I was going to have to do because I did have such a background in soccer, but I found out there's a ton about this lifestyle that I really don't know. I don't know what it's like to be a professional soccer player. Like, of course I don't. (laughs) (laughs) So, so anyway, so that now you do. And now I do. Yeah, now I do. And that really affected like, oh, if that's not how you know, what they, the choices that they would make that I thought the character would make, then I need to make some changes to the manuscript. So, you know, it kind of depends on, on the project. I wonder, is it that when we start, we were looking for a recipe? Like, yeah, and we were afraid, like voice, you know, go to that thing where you would be afraid to make grammatical errors in that first yeah. draft because you're like, oh, no, it needs to be perfect. But then people don't talk like that. So then, right. Can you risk that? And so I wonder if that's a little bit of it. Oh, I think that's such a good point. I didn't even really think about that. But it's like, yeah, you know, you kind of instead of like, oh, it has to be exactly, you know, three quarters of a teaspoon of this and, you know, half a cup of that. You're really like, oh, it's a sprinkle of this or I'm just going to, you know, wing it on the water or whatever. Or or it's a sprinkle of it for you where somebody over here needs a cup of it because that's how they do it. And that's what their readers like. And so I wonder if it's like a combination of like getting older, a little bit older, the experience mm-hmm. and feeling like, yeah, okay, I don't need to use GPS to find my way home anymore. I feel like as a teacher, for example, like I'm far more economical with like my grading time. Like it used to take me forever to grade papers. <laughs> and and it's not that I don't enjoy grading papers because sometimes I really do. And I would never want anybody else to do it other than myself, you know, but I am way faster at it now. Like just, I mean, it only took me 20 years, but you know, it, it's, it's something that right now it's like, I know exactly what I'm looking at. I know. And it's not a formula. It's something that I definitely go by. I mean, some of it is a formula, you know, they need to, I need to make sure that my students have a thesis statement and they've got body paragraphs and all that kind of stuff. Your spelling's okay. I can kind of go a lot more by feel. You know, if I can see that one student is really taking a big swing with a paper, I can be a little bit more forgiving about the execution. Whereas if somebody is giving me a paint by numbers kind of paper or trying to tell me what I want to hear, what they think I want to hear, you know, I know, you you know what I mean? So it's like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm far more flexible as, you know, just a person, but definitely as as a writer and a teacher too. So I think that flexibility is kind of built in. In your acknowledgments of Light of the Fire, I noticed that you credit 
your developmental editor for helping you take Light of the Fire to the next level. What were some of the things that took it to that next level? So Lake Union, my publisher, assigned me a developmental editor. So I have an acquisitions editor who, you know, picked the book out of the pile and decided to take it to acquisitions. And then once we signed a contract, I was assigned a developmental editor, David Downing. That's awesome. It is awesome. It is it is awesome. And working with him was absolutely a joy. I think that was maybe my favorite part of this process because it was so collaborative. So the book has two point of view characters, Beth and Allie. Beth is the professional soccer player who comes back to their hometown. Allie has basically never left. And Allie was far less, I want to say, likable, but I don't know that that's necessarily the right. She was not as sympathetic a character as I had thought. And I definitely wanted to make her a little spiky. You know, Mm -hmm. I like a spiky character actually. Yeah. And I just like them as people sometimes too. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, but she was a little bit spiky, but she wasn't necessarily as sympathetic as she needed to be for this particular book. And he was really able to help me see that and also help shape her without losing that spikiness. And that was unique. That was unique to a developmental editor because it required somebody else as an outsider's eye, you know, Mm -hmm. who was also on the side of this story, who knew story, right? And he was able to really help me reshape this character without changing her too much, but just enough to where I wouldn't be losing the reader. You know, like I really wanted her still to be very relatable, even if she might strike some people as just a little bit prickly. This is going to come out sexist. And I'm actually trying to go in the opposite direction with this question. (laughs) You've got a guy Mm -hmm. as a developmental editor who's helping you make a female character likable. Mm -hmm. Were you concerned about that? To be honest, when I heard that I had been assigned a guy as my editor, I was a little bit concerned. And I was also (laughs) thinking, oh, this is Lake Union, you know, it's book club, women's fiction, you know. But as soon as he opened his mouth and started talking about the book, I knew he was the right editor. I knew it. I just, he just got it. He got the whole book. He even was talking about it with, his wife and his daughter, you know, and it was just, he absolutely got the book, which was a really good lesson for me because when I think of my reader, that really changed the picture of who my reader is. And I think that was Mm -hmm. an important lesson for me to learn. It's got to be really reassuring to hear, Mm -hmm. hear your book come through this person's, you know, his point of view Mm -hmm. about your book and know Mm -hmm. that He's got it. He's got, he understands. He what I'm absolutely got it. Yeah, he got it. <laughs> I was so happy to work with him. I hope I get to work with him again. I just, I really, really enjoyed working with David. I highly, highly recommend him. You were with a smaller press with your other books. Mm-hmm. And then this one, Lake Union. Lake Union is part of Amazon. Were there any other big differences? There's a lot of really nice things about being with a small press, but Uh, Honestly, a lot of the things that I had pegged 
as being very much unique to working with a small press, I've been finding at Lake Union too. So it is that close one-on-one relationship with your editors and every single editor along the line. So developmental, copy edits, proofreading, everyone has been super nice, but also super explainy. Like they've taken all of this time to really explain. They encourage me to use my voice if I feel like I don't agree with something or if I have questions. I never felt like I was silenced at all. And even when it came to cover design, I was like, oh, I'm not going to have any choice in cover. <laughs> like that's just the way it goes. But yeah. no, they showed me the cover and you know, we went back and forth a little bit about it and that was great. I got to listen to different actors because we have three different actors oh, wow. on the audiobook, which oh, is that's so awesome. cool. So I got to hear them first and go, oh my gosh, they're so good. I love it. And I, you know, I'm an audiobook girl. So I, I'm Same here. like, bring me the audiobook. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was so exciting. It's just different. I didn't, you know, we were yeah. talking about expectations. Like, I don't know, like I can't hang my hat on expectations in this business because it's so, it changes all the time. You know, so I wasn't expecting to have any sort of say on who got to narrate the audiobook, but it was really nice to be asked. Pleasure to work with. In your acknowledgments, I noticed that you thank a lot of people that had hands on this book. Where did they all come from? I hired a book coach, Don Use, who is Mm -hmm. fabulous. And so she's worked with me on this book. My agent worked with me on this book. Her assistant helped me with this book. So I have had beta readers. I mean, you know how it is. It's like, I don't think of this as a one woman show at all. (laughs) There's no way It it would be impossible for me. I'm not one who wants to be doing this by myself. (laughs) So I have had help along the way. Yes, my name is on the book. And yes, I'm the one who wrote all those words. But at the same time, it has taken a team to make it into the book that it is that you will see in bookstores or online or in your ears. Back to the story. You've got these longstanding relationships. And when you have novels about female friendships, these long-standing relationships, they're usually ripe with some juicy history. Mm -hmm. So what was it that inspired you to write that piece? Well, part of it is, is that those friendships, I I mean, Mm -hmm. I write a lot about friendships and family, like that's sort of Mm -hmm. like, those are my go-to and it can be found family, you know, and a lot of these distinctions kind of meld together in a lot of ways. And so you'll have friendships and I don't know about you, but I've had friendships, long-term friendships where they feel more like family at this point Mm -hmm. than just friends. Not that there's anything just about friends, but, you know, I've had, especially my two best girlfriends that I've known since I was like in kindergarten feel more like sisters to me, you Mm -hmm. know? And there's just something about that shared history. You know, people who know you from Mm -hmm. way back when, before you were a professional soccer player or before you had children or, (laughs) you know, before you started, you know, paying your own rent, they need you when you were climbing trees and when you got your first period and they, you know, they knew you. And as you get older, I find that I just sort of treasure those friendships even more. I've met so many great people throughout my life, but you know, those people who have known you for so long know you in a way that no one else does. And and it can be, they know you on a different level than even your spouse. When you're little, you're alike. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. You're in kindergarten together. You're like, but then you, you go off in these different paths and, you know, 40 years later, you turn around and you pick up a conversation mm-hmm. and it's like, they just know you at a, at a cellular level Yes, that you don't nitpick the, oh, well, she voted for so-and-so or she, you know, does whatever. They just get you. Yeah. And you get them. There's something almost organic about it. I totally agree. And I love watching my daughter develop those friendships. You know, that's mm-hmm. been such a kick just seeing like, oh man, like I know that you two are going to be friends forever. Like you are not going to be able to stay out of each other's lives, you know? And it's just, it's really, really fun to see that because it is, it's so special. It's something that, you know, maybe we took for granted when we were little. There's a reason why, you know, there are some friends who stick around for Mm -hmm. decades and some who just kind of fall away at, you know, for whatever reason, you know, after high school or after college or whatever, you know, you move on, but there's a reason why you have those handful of special friends who have stuck around. And, and I don't know about you, but it's like, you know, if I don't see them for a few years, which sometimes, you know, I'm on the, a mm-hmm. different coast now. I grew up in California and now I'm in Philly. And if I don't see them, you know, for a couple of years, we get back together and it's like time has not passed, you know? Exactly. When my daughter got married, I was in awe. Her bridesmaids were everyone from her cousin to people that she was friends with in college that I knew them, but I didn't mm-hmm. know them well because she was going to college, you know, nine, 10 hours away. Yeah. But to watch them circle around her and to take care of her. And when I walked away, I thought, you know, I saw those lifelong friends that she'd made. And I thought, these are the people that fill in those gaps that your parents cannot fill in for you. Those are the ones that it's almost like they take the baton and run with it. So grateful they have those people. And they found those people, Mm -hmm. you know, that absolute joy to see your kid not only have such great friends, but also be that great friend, Mm -hmm. you know, that back and forth. And it's like, I'm so grateful that my daughter has cultivated such a good, strong group of just great kids. I mean, around her, I mean, there's not one bad one in the bunch. It's like, they're all just like themselves. They all lift each other up. I mean, it's Mm. so lovely. Yeah. Friends are so important. And especially those friends that just really get you. It's priceless. So you have thrown this big, ugly hornet's nest mm-hmm. into a friendship with this mm-hmm. book, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. So how do they work through it? Can you give us a little hint without spoiling it? Let me see. Well, there is another party who was affected by this mm-hmm. secret. His whole family was affected by this secret. And it's the 20 year anniversary actually of Mm. when when the incident happened. And so there are certain things that are kind of calling attention to it. So it really means that the two women, the friends have to finally kind of confront this secret that they've had, you know, between them that they've shared. And after a while, it's like, you know, when something's just been hanging on you for such a long time and you realize it's, partly defined who you are Mm -hmm. and you don't like it, that can be a really uncomfortable place to be. And so it's really with them kind of wrestling with that. And honestly, like if the secret comes out, it's really devastating. It could be really, really devastating for both of them. So they have a really difficult decision to make. 
forcing them to confront it and to talk with each other can only hope that that they can still be friends no matter what happens. But we have to wait till January to find out. January 23rd. Yay, my birthday's that week. I know what I'm buying myself. Yay! (laughs) Happy birthday to Christy. (laughs) (laughs) You said you're doing two books at once? I'm putting together two proposals. One book is, I have a rough draft of it. I've gotten some feedback from my agent and I'm, I'm making some changes to the story. But yeah, I'm doing two projects right now. One of them is set in Chicago and it's about four friends who met doing improv together. So they were part of an improv group and what's happened like in the 15 years since. So the other one is called the Bell Sisters and it's about two sisters who are very, very close in age. So they're kind of like Irish sisters. They're like Mm -hmm. a year and change apart. One is a prosecutor. She's a very, very driven, successful person. And the other one, the younger one, is less so. She is someone who is kind of a late bloomer. And it takes place in the mid-80s. So this is kind of my first, is this considered historical fiction now? Apparently, apparently if it's before 1990, it's historical. I disagree, but... Makes me feel so old. (laughs) One of the sisters, the prosecutor ends up disappearing. So it Ooh. becomes the younger sister's job. Just to rise to the occasion. Happen. Yeah. Are you reading anything? Yeah, I'm reading like four things right now. So one thing I'm reading is Without a Doubt by Marsha Clark, because it's part of my research as a prosecutor. Actually, it's really good. And she's turned into quite the novelist. I think she has three other, she has three other additional books out. They're all novels. They're all like, you know, crime fiction and stuff set in the courtroom. I'm also reading The Haunting of Hill House. Because Mm -hmm. I am obsessed with the show Haunting of Hill House. So I just finished Follow the House of Usher, which just came out this year. And then I just watched Midnight Mass, which he did. Oh, my God, it was so good. And so now I'm watching Haunting of Hill House. And so I decided I I need to read that book, too. It was a Shirley Jackson book that I, I just for some reason never read it. And then I'm also reading Anne Garvin's There's No Coming Back from This. I freaking love her. Like that book, I cannot tell you, like, I am just like, I'm nodding the whole time and laughing. Like the whole time I'm nodding and laughing because I love this woman, Poppy. She's hilarious. hilarious. It's so good. And then the other book I'm reading, and I'm trying to take my time, but I'm not doing a very good job is AJ Banner's Dreaming of Water. She is a beautiful writer. Like her descriptions of the Pacific Northwest are just I feel like I'm there. It's like, I feel like I'm in a movie reading her book. So anyway, I highly recommend that too. So yeah, I'm reading four really different, but really good books. When we were in Chicago, Amy Popel spoke during one session. I don't know if you were in it, but she was was talking about, and she was talking about Hollow Kingdom and she had recommended that. I don't even know, what was it, three or four years ago? And I bought it and I started it and I got to like chapter four and stopped reading it. I came back and I absolutely loved that. It is hilarious. It's written from the point of view of a crow. (laughs) He goes by ST and it is the humans have like lost their mind and they've all become zombies and the animals are taking over. It's a quick read, but it's it's funny. Oh, it's funny. If you like animals, it's, it's not like, I mean, it's, it's not like animals, like Bambi animals. These are like really funny shit turd has 
He's he's got a that's an incredible sense of humor. So yeah, she was right about that. So if you haven't gotten to that, please do. <laughs> I have not. I'm going to write it down right now. Yeah, my husband was listening to it, and he'd come home and go, "Oh my gosh, these." these crows are wearing me out because <laughs> they just keep, yeah. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. Is there anything you'd recommend to new writers? I know this has been said before, but it really is just keep going. Like just keep writing. You can actually do this. You know, you can do this. And that's what I tell my student writers, you know, is I know that this X number of pages seems like a lot. I know that you're stressed out. I know that you have a lot going on in your life. But if this is something that you want, you can do this and you will do this. You know, I just, I feel like that kind of um, stick with itness is kind of the key to, you know, if this is something that you want, if you want to write a book or you want to write a short story or you even want to write a poem or a series of poems, it's really sitting down and getting the work in. And it's not going to be perfect the first time around, and that's okay. But just sitting down and doing the work, you can do this. And anybody can do this. If the interest is there, you can absolutely do this. So yeah, it's really just get the work in. You can do and, it. And don't you think we, I've not brought this up before, but you've, you've kind of opened the door. Screaming into the void, like mm-hmm. we all feel, Mm -hmm. is normal. And that Mm -hmm. seems like nobody tells you that in any other vocation that I've ever been involved in. Nobody says, it's normal that you just go scream into the void that you've written a whole book that no one's going to read this year, this Mm -hmm. week. It's just normal. How do you keep going? I was just listening to Albert Brooks on WTF. I love Albert Brooks. (laughs) Broadcast News is one of my all-time favorite I love him so much. If I wasn't already married and if he wasn't already married, I would be absolutely on that. No, he's, um, (laughs) (laughs) but he was talking about how when he was in high school, he would come home every single day after high school and do a radio show on, um, Oh, what's like a trucker? What's a trucker? Oh, like like on a CB. Like CB. Breaker in 2020. <laughs> yes. So he would go on that for an hour and he would talk and play records to no one. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it. And that's it. Like he put in all this time and he may not have known it then. But he was putting in the time, he was putting in the effort, he was learning how to tell jokes or learning how to be entertaining. All of this practice made him Albert Brooks. It's not even having that expectation that anyone is going to read this. No one cares more about what you're going to put out to the world than you. So you have to believe that you can actually do it. No one else is going to do it for you. Not your agent, not your editor, not your mom. You know, it's got to be you. And I think like, you know, everything else is just like icing on the cake. You know, it's like, I love it. If somebody gets something from what I write, that is so lovely. Thank you. You know, but in the end, I'm really doing this because I really enjoy it. And I want to continue to put out books into the world. So I'm going to continue putting in the time. Thank you. Thank you. This was really fun. To learn more, visit sarahlynnbrook.com. 
If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.